0: ATT Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for ATT Threat Track.
1: So, uh, Ganesh, I hear you got some news on the Mustik botnet that's based on Tomato Firmware.
2: Yes, I do. Um,
1: uh,
2: it's basically Mustik is another new botnet. It's been around for, I think, uh, about two years. Uh, they're known to target most of the. Um, like the flavor of any time this time, like a Linux-based, yeah. as well as IoT-based devices. Uh, when they initially came out, they used to target uh, lots of GPON, maybe DDWRT type of uh, exploits, as well as scanners for different, uh, like a Weblogic, uh, as well as uh, Webboos, or some sort of scanners they used to use. Basically, they look for the any available vulnerabilities to recruit into the botnet. That's the backstory story after that. Okay. But the latest one, uh, which is actually found by Palo Alto 42 Network, uh, they found they're targeting basically uh, tomato-based firmware-based routers. You know, basically, tomato firmware is, uh, which is alternate uh, firmware used by some of the geeks and nerds to basically put on their routers, right, instead of the the default one came with uh, some routers.
1: Yeah, that's what I have on mine, so. Okay,
2: (laughs) okay, then uh, this is the perfect story for you. I mean, the way they're, <laughs> the way they're doing is uh, because it's one avenue, they found out to be maybe to recruit more bots into the botnet. Okay. So what they're trying to do is in this case, uh, they're targeting these tomato-based firmware routers, warn uh, them by using default passwords in order to brute force them. I guess there are some, um, even though people are using it, they're trying to keep the default passwords. Of course. So how are they doing it? The typical targeting we have port 8080 TCP, I mean, uh, which is typical for any HTTP, either it could be 80 or 8080. 80, 80, 80. But I, I guess in this case they're using 8080 TCP. Uh, what, it, what it does is once it uh, finds the vulnerable devices, it uses the previous exploits also. Like for example, I said WebLogic, right? right. WebLogic as well as Wordpress, uh, also Webuzo scanners. They have all these scanners. On top of that, they have another new one for the tomato scanners. Okay. So I- they're not only using the new one, but they're also using the existing ones to basically grow the botnet. How are they doing it? Uh, for the, I mean, I just put in there, uh, for the Wordpress, they're using 80 or 8080 TCP. Uh, for WebLogic, I believe uh, the default one is 7001 TCP. What's, uh, what's a unique thing about the MootStick botnet is um, it has um, multiple lists of C2 servers or domains. Why is it doing? Because I think uh, if one of the domains or servers have taken down, they have is to fall back. Yeah. For example, there's a first server, it tries to reach out. If somebody has taken it out, it will go to the next one in the list, okay. so on and so forth. So uh, it has that redundancy built in. And uh, I guess uh, you might be wondering how the name Mustik came out. When it came out, I think uh, in one of the exploit codes, uh, when they tried to decode, this specific uh, word used to pop up. So that's why at that time, the researcher named it as Mustik Botnet. But in this case, uh, we'll be calling it Mustik Targeting Tomato Botnet.
1: Usually the people who have tomato firmware routers, they're pretty savvy and they are not expecting it to be exposed to this kind of a vulnerability.
2: And I have a couple more slides uh, showing some um, Shodan scans. Uh, in this uh, graphic, basically, I'm showing two queries uh, looking at the Tomato router as well as the USB. If you look at the, the number, is not that huge. About 4,500, 4,600 are there on the Shodan queries. I mean, which is kind of expected. I mean, not many people. Uh, have tomato routers, even though if people have maybe most of them already are in the default passwords, so which is good news. Yeah. Which is good news. I mean, uh, this is also Palo Alto has the similar queries on their uh, research. Uh, I think my numbers more or less kind of uh, agrees with that. I think they have uh, about 4,700. When I looked at it, I got about 4,200 combined. So I think more or less it combines with the number they are seeing it. But the other one is uh, based on our uh, backbone uh, visibility of these uh, specific ports. Uh, I'll try to explain. In the first graph here, uh, I plotted against um, all the ports like 80, 8080, TCP, uh, 70041, all those, how, how the activity is looking, and afterwards taking out the top port 8080, in the second port, at what time you're seeing it. And finally looking at the 7,001 and 2034, I mean, 2004 ports. As you can see in all the graphs, uh, the activity seems to be happening. There was a big spike around, uh, I think January 20th timeframe. Okay. Like you you see the spike here, the single spike. This is the time actually Palo Alto released their uh, research to the internet. Ah, okay. I think as soon as it's been released, I think somebody does scanning. And after a day or two, actually there's a renewed interest and sustained scanning was there for about two days. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, when I looked at uh, actually all those uh, scanners or sources like sparse checking, there seems to be mostly some sort of internet scanners looking for these
1: devices. And they're typically when they're making when they're performing these scans, they're, they're looking to brute force like an external login. Uh,
2: I think in this case, uh, they're just looking to vulnerable devices. Okay. Uh, some are like research oriented scanners. So you know, some we know some certain people like Rapid7. Right. They do scans certain times which ports are open. Uh, those kind of. Certain. I did not see any successful connection. It doesn't okay. mean. That not they're not very, successful, right. maybe they're just looking to get the list, maybe there may be some payload coming later on the point of the view. Okay. But uh, the blog, the Palo Alto blog has a very good
1: write-up, and I highly recommend it, to read it, to understand how this botnet works. I'd like to know how to harden my tomato router too. Uh, just to make sure I'm not on this list. <laughs> um, I, I think uh,
2: yeah, if you change your default password, I think you
1: should Yeah, Yeah, I yeah, disabled access from the WAN. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm assuming if there's a vulnerability in, in some other part of the router that uh, either a patch or something would have to take place.
0: Oh, what's interesting about this particular group is they do tend to try to focus, uh, it seems, on weak uh, or default credentials. Uh, to identify uh, exploitable uh, devices that they can then develop, you know, deploy their botnet onto or, or other devices. Um, a group by the same name um, previously was deploying uh, a ransomware um, focused on Qnap NAS devices, okay. and they were looking uh, at compromising devices basically using that same weak and default credentials as well. And what's interesting is that back in October of 2019 is that one of the victims of that campaign actually hacked back and retrieved all the encryption keys and released a decryptor uh, for that campaign at the time. So, when I look at this story, um, there's some really interesting questions that arise about the operational security of this particular threat actor group, and quite frankly, the sophistication uh, of this threat actor group, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like they are at least from the the stories that i've seen you know writing original exploit code they're really just taking advantage of people who are failing to take those basic actions to protect themselves you know resetting default credentials and other just really mundane administrative tasks
2: yeah yeah i think that gives some more value for their time you know because they're using the already existing exploits already and on top of the they're adding the which are the new one that i mean There is, in this case, they use tomato.
1: First thing you do when you get into your router at home or any device that has a login password, you want to change the default settings. So you don't want it to be admin-admin. You want to go in there right away and change the username if you can and the password if you can. Hi, Mike. uh, You have
2: a very really interesting story about um, like a fake HoneyNet, HoneyPuck kind of thing for ICS-based systems. Can you elaborate more about that one?
0: Sure. So uh, there's a lot of concern, a lot of press about you know internet connected Internet of Things, and particularly as this intersects with manufacturing sector and various you know smart plants and smart manufacturing uh, type environments. But you know it's always interesting because you don't see a lot of um, or as much data around what the actual threats are uh, as you do with other types of more traditional networks and. Uh, some researchers decided that they were going to set up a hyper-realistic honeypot emulating a smart factory. And they actually modeled all of the components inside of a smart factory. You know, everything from programmable logic controllers to human-machine interface instances, other components, and even went so far as to create um, actual uh, actual company website for the fake company complete with, you know, anonymized customer profiles as well as employee stories and things like that. So they really um, pushed the envelope, if you will, from a um, realism perspective on this you know effectively you know advanced honeypot, specifically looking to see what types of attacks they can get against this smart manufacturing infrastructure. And uh, the results that they had were really intriguing. Um, the first thing that stood out to me was that after they put this thing online in about March of last year, it took two months. Um, for them to start to see attacks against it which is interesting because usually when you see see data about you know vulnerable windows systems connected to the internet you start to see attacks on those types of platforms within you know minutes so the fact that it took 2 months um, for someone to start identifying this and attacking this was interesting and it wasn't because they didn't have an attack service the researchers actually made all of the mistakes you would expect in under-resourced understaffed IT shop to make. And they had many common um, ports to open to the internet that were associated with um, various IoT devices, as well as remote administration capabilities. But after two months, they started to see some interesting activity. First was that they started to see those systems being used to facilitate fraudulent activities against other third parties. So, these were things like um, obfuscating um, purchasing of phones or trying to do number port-out schemes or um, you know, gift card fraud or payment, uh, payment fraud types of, of things. And then shortly after that, they started to see crypto mining-related activity. Um, so people would log in, um, identify the systems, they'd start to deploy crypto miners, and then would continue to come back and restart the crypto miners every so often in the event that they stopped producing for them. Um, But what I thought was particularly intriguing was the ransomware instances uh, that eventually made their way into the system. So, over about a nine-month period, uh, they had three quote-unquote instances of ransomware that that popped up um, while they were doing this study. Um, First was Crisis, and the next um, variant was Phobos, um, delivered by different threat actors. But the interesting part was that in both cases, the threat actors logged in, identified the systems, gained access, and then manually deployed uh, the ransomware. Uh, so they weren't um, compromised by some sort of, you know, bot or other type of automated process. This was something that people, the threat actor, logged in, looked around, determined what needed to be deployed, downloaded packages, manually took the action to uh, encrypt the environment, and then. Um, move forward from there. In the case of the crisis malware, um, they asked them for a ten thousand dollar ransom, and they eventually negotiated them down to six k um, before they just reset the environment. Um, which you know that was interesting. I thought just because of the the number associated with that. Usually, you hear numbers that are typically a bit larger. Um, and then the third attempt um, that was made for ransomware seemed to be by someone who was really a very inept threat actor because they didn't really deploy a crypto virus. What they did was kind of upload some tools that it didn't seem like they really knew how to use and then just managed to rename everything and open up some tabs uh, in an internet browser that pointed to some uh, adult content in Germany uh, to kind of make people know they were there and, you know, ask them for $750 in Bitcoin. So that was one of those where, you know... I would personally uh kind of chalk that one up to um, you know, your kind of script kitty, really un, um sophisticated threat actor, which kinda of shows the continuum of risks uh that these uh organizations are gonna face.
1: Mike, do you think maybe maybe they kinda had an idea this was a honeypot style setup? Like maybe it was too good to be true, so the teams that were yeah. you know maybe and get involved with like Ryuk or TrickBot like, you know what, maybe we'll stay away from this one. We'll let the little guys go in and see what happens. You know, maybe it seemed like a setup. I don't know.
0: That... It's tough to say because like when you start looking at like Ryuk and other types of more advanced ransomware, um, those programs um, know when they're running in a virtualized environment. They know when they're running in like, you know, an analyst workbench or something like that, and they'll take action to shut themselves down. Um, you know, and this environment did use VirtualBox quite a bit um, you know, as part of the platform. So you there may have been something along those lines. Um, but I think that um really I think that what this shows us is the infection vector may be a little bit different because, you know, with RIAC and other, you know, types of ransomware you traditionally see, a lot of times phishing attacks um right. or you know, convincing a user to click on something, yeah. you know, really is that initial infection vector. And in this case, You know they're compromising, you know, poorly secured VNC connections um, or other um, weakly secured um, IoT devices, and there's not that human interaction component. So it's forcing the attackers to be more manual about things.
2: I'll say it's possible. Maybe these industrial control systems are part of the specific threat actors. Okay. So. As actually Mike is alluding, I think this is evolving threat. But in near future, we may see lots of attacks or vulnerabilities targeting these devices. And uh, also, I, I like the point. Maybe the threat actors needs to interact with them manually, so it may not be the top high high up top on their list. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, if, if they're looking for the more value for time. Right, automated. You You are to go for the automation rather than doing the manual stuff most of the time. Right. But it doesn't mean um, uh, the threats are not there. I mean, uh, the threat vectors are there, experts are there. Uh, because I read that the report, they went to the great lengths to use different PLCs and programs, you know, stuff like that to create the real environment.
1: And Yeah, sorry. I mean, I I did read a little bit in there that they said nobody actually took over any control systems, right? During this honeypot setup, Um, they just kind of looked around.
0: Yeah, they 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 were attacked. They were able to access them, but you know, beyond that, um, I didn't see where they actually um, took any actions to try and reset things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this does go to the point where you know, just because you can do something like connect your IoT environment to the internet. Doesn't necessarily mean you should. So, yeah. you know, it really is one of those things where you have to weigh, you know, the benefit versus the risk. And if you are going to do this, take the kinds of controls and, and steps that we see today, right? Require people to access the environment remotely via a VPN. Require two-factor authentication. Follow best practices when hardening your devices. Reset, you know, uh, default passwords and credentials. Make sure they're not there and you know any other hardening that, that is you know, available to you. Um, you. These simple kinds of things would really help prevent a lot of these types of opportunistic attacks.
1: You wanna lock everything down and only unlock as you need. So you wanna deny all, zero trust, right? And then as people in your company need access, you wanna analyze that access, you wanna vet that, that person, that user, and, and give them the privilege if they need, and then you open the port if necessary.
0: Hey, George, have you heard about the uh, increase in Emotet activity?
1: Yes, I have, Mike. Um, Actually, I was just looking at an article that uh, Homeland Security had put out um, from their CISA group, um, which um, claims that there's been an increase in Emotet malware activity. So the article is pretty basic. I mean, it just goes over some basic uh, hardening principles, what to do, you know, what not to do, how to avoid it. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about Emotet in general. Um, it's something that's out there. Um, it's kind of morphed over time. Um, and it's, it's from what I'm seeing, being used pretty frequently. Um, so it's also
2: the top malware.
1: Right, it's top malware. It could be considered a malware tr- okay. transport mechanism. It could be considered malware all in itself. Um, so, you know, to try to sum it up, I'll say we can kind of go back a little bit in in time. So I guess around 2014, um, Emotet kind of made his debut, I think more in Europe than in the US, um, as a banking trojan, right? And at that time it was a simple JavaScript file Mm -hmm. that was sent through an email. Um, So a user clicked on what looked like an invoice for some kind of Product they purchased, or a receipt from UPS, or something, and they double-clicked on that, launched JavaScript, that typically launched either some credential-stealing applications, yeah. or it, you know maybe it it pulled uh, their contact list from Outlook and spammed out to a bunch of people in their contact list just to kind of spread that. Mm-hmm. But what we've been seeing a lot of now is how that's morphed into more of a, uh, I mean, they call it a fileless type of system now, where. There is that document, there is that phishing. You get an email with an invoice, um, but now it's a Word doc, right, or it's a PDF. Mm -hmm. Um, They're still using the same kind of, here's your invoice from buying a product that you probably don't even remember buying, but since people buy so much stuff today that, you know, all right, yeah, let me take a look at it. You launch that Word doc, it opens up, a macro launches in the background, initiates a PowerShell script that goes out and you know, hits a list of websites to pull down some kind of malicious executable. And this is why it wreaks havoc now on people's machines.
0: Department of Homeland Security uh, has said in the past that Emotet is really one of the most costly and destructive pieces of malware out there today. And estimates actually put it, you know, up to a million dollars per incident for cleanup because the rate of reinfection is so high that you practically need to you know, create an enclave, clean machines, and then put them into a secured enclave that you know is good, do that for the entire environment, or else, you know, it's likely to come back on you.
2: The Emotate constantly updates itself, morphs into different things. As soon as it, somebody finds out the ways to detect a certain variation of the Imotet it tries to get into new, new avenues and new ways to basically defeat those mechanisms.
1: They've gone creative. Right, so they they do everything from obfuscating that PowerShell script that works in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, They encode that same script. You know, there are endpoint tools that'll pick up Base64 encoding and Mm -hmm. obfuscation, but what they've also been seeing doing now is they're injecting a lot of, I wouldn't say useless code, but a lot of... um, Benign code. Benign code into the macro. So you have the macro that launches the script, but in that macro is a bunch of other stuff that seems to be like a normal macro, but it's kind of hiding the other malicious callouts, right? So if there's a W script in there or something, the other stuff kind of masks it in a That's way. That's clever. Yeah, so yeah. this is just you know, one of the ways. Um, it's also been known to disable uh, AV, like, you know, mm-hmm. seen that, where it could go into security centrals, it just puts a little key in the registry and boom, yep. you're no longer protected by Windows. Um, Another thing that in, in my research here, I, I just noticed, this came out a couple of days ago, um, where it was seen in the wild that on a recent sample for Emotet, and I'm not sure what it was delivering, but they pulled down the PowerShell script and they noticed an Icar string in the top of the script, um, so your, whatever AV product you're using or whatever malware prevention product will alarm on it, because it's a PowerShell script, it's obfuscated, but the analyst will see a string at the top saying, ICAR, test purposes only, and you know, for those who don't know, ICAR is the European Institute for AV testing, and there's an ICAR file that a lot of teams use, right, to test their systems, so you'll see ICAR, like, "Oh, oh, we're all right. don't even bother, you don't have to continue any further, you know, it's just a test. I've seen it personally myself, and if you're not prepared to handle what Emoted does beyond that PowerShell script, you just pretty much ignored everything else that happened, deleted the alert, probably didn't even yeah. take note because it's iCar, right? So this is new. This is a couple of days ago. Um, so it's something that people should look out for now. Um, mm-hmm. And very interesting. And
0: it's yeah. Well, and one of the um, things that you know, from a community perspective out there, right, like you know, the larger internet community as a whole, is if you are running WordPress, which is one of the you know the most popular content management systems out there, make sure your WordPress site is secured because a lot of times these macros that are embedded in these word documents are going down and downloading Emotet from compromised WordPress sites, um, right. which makes it very difficult to try to filter out you know, malicious destinations because these are all legitimate sites and and things like that. So really making sure that, um, you know, you're taking care of your own environment so that you're not contributing to the downfall of other environments, you know, is an important takeaway from this as well.
1: Right. And to that, Mike, in, in the PowerShell script that it's going out to and hitting these sites to attempt to download whatever second stage, actually that would be the first stage after the dropper, it's actually reaching out to sites that have been compromised, right? So mm-hmm. it could be these WordPress sites, it, it finds it, it, it dumps the payload on the site, and guess what, you just became, you're just became, just kind of helping out everybody else involved in Emotet, right? So yeah, if, if you do your due diligence and make sure your site's clean and patched, maybe you don't show up on that list and help everybody out, you know? It'll just cycle through and it'll hit the site, see oh, there's no malware in the site, it must be cleaned up, and it'll move on to the next one and move on to the next one.
2: So in the advisory, do they have anything specific or interesting, um, like a mitigation technique or something, or is it just a general practice? So
1: it's pretty much general practice. Um, okay. I kind of chose it because I like the fact that they're making it aware. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that kind of, you know, everybody, seems to focus, and you should focus a lot on the product that occurs after the delivery. So yep. yeah, if there's ransomware, if there's trick bot, if there's, if there's creds that have been stolen mm-hmm. or exfiltrated, we need to handle that. Yeah. But if we focus a little bit on stuff that happens before, so the delivery mechanism, um, we may be able to prevent some of that. And they do go over some basic, you know, okay, you can't necessarily block email, all email attachments that contain macros. We all know that in a big environment, it's hard to just stop macros, like, we Mm. need macros, and it's part of the production for certain companies. Um, There are policies you can, you know, firewall rules you can make place. Um, They do mention um, implementing, you know, DMARC on the email to validate the email signature. Um, We could do that, but I feel like there's been some clever maneuvers around that as well. Um, Segmenting and you know segmenting your network so Mm -hmm. don't have a flat network yep that's another basic
2: so quick takeaway would be like multiple layers of protection
1: yeah 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 multiple layers of protection and Hmm. while you know it's gonna be hard to stop people from double-clicking on a file um, they've even they've even begun to zip up these files so now Email clients that normally handle get mm-hmm. sca- kind of scanning the metadata on the macros. Yeah. They hit the zip file and they really can't read zip yeah. files very easily, right? So those get through. Yeah. You can't, you know, and awareness, you know, making people aware that hey, think twice before you are gonna open this invoice to a you which know to a that you probably didn't expecting. buy. Yeah, yeah. so
0: it's the biggest one being enforcing for the principle of least privilege across your enterprise in your user base because you know if you're not running as a local admin then you know anything launched inside your security context of the victim isn't going to be able to do that registry edit right uh, without having some secondary exploit to elevate privileges so okay, that's okay. one that really is the achilles heel of a lot of environments that we end up doing response work for
1: The fact that they're reaching out to us and and to the to society and say hey take a look you know this is out there and if we can kind of slow down Emotet, then that allows us to slow down ransomware a little bit, because a lot of the ransomware comes from phishing campaigns that are pushed through Imotep.
2: Hey, George. um, I'm going to go over the internet weather for the past week, uh, ending yesterday, until yesterday, like uh, January 20th to 27th. In the first slide, uh, we have the top 10 most probed ports. As you can see, Uh, The first one would be 2310 LED, 445 SMB, 1433 MS equal, uh, 8545, uh, and 338980 TCP. those are the ones I want to talk about. Uh, In the, basically in the table, uh, what it is telling is um, the top ports this week, Uh and what's their uh, position last week, and how much change it has. The last column is the change. I mean, uh, plus one means uh, last week 23 was at the second position, this week uh, jumped by one position to the first number position. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wise versa, uh, if it is a negative number, it's how many places it's dropped, Okay. you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the ones with like, for example, rank yeah. number five to seven, the ones I want to talk a little bit more about. The first one is 854.5, which is used by Ethereum, which is a miner. And we all know there are so many exploits, basically. I think uh, there are JSON RPC, which is used to exploit these Ethereum clients and oh. use it for mining and other purposes. Um, um, yeah, there's uh, RPC, remote access vulnerability, and that's not the one, but that's most popular one, which uh, uh, which actually attackers use to exploit this Ethereum by that uh, exploit. Uh, here we are showing, uh, um, I think, uh, last three sixty-five days worth of uh, probing happening on our common backbone. As you can see, um, there's lots of activity last February, around last February, I think, start of February for some time, and then kind of uh, scaled down. But still, if you see, I think uh, just before the holidays, like a uh, mid. December there was a big spike and afterwards it's kind of the traffic is kind of uh, leveled up mm-hmm. mm. this is the graph this is the view when I was doing uh, internet weather last month and uh, well, like uh, sometime in December okay this was a graph like that for example if you switch between those, not much uh, difference I mean the traffic volume seems to be pretty much seems to be not I mean at the same levels as last time we saw it okay that being said, how many scan sources are seen on this one? Scan sources are in the sense, um, any scanners like internet scanners looking for this 8545 port. Okay. Um, the scanning activity is pretty much a standard f- for the last 365 days. As you can see here, the volume, pretty much a little bit variations. Slightly, yeah. Uh, slightly, like I think it's uh, ramping up a little bit since maybe early November, maybe late November timeframe. But if you see the spikes, I want to just uh, brought this one too. There were spikes for uh, almost at the regular interval of time. Let's mm-hmm. say maybe every seven days, ten days, something like that. Sometimes the uh, the time frame is a little bit longer. Okay. But you can see there a uh, big spike happening. What does that means? There might be a one, or, one or few, like very few scanners, new scanners coming in. Uh, okay. They're scanning it, and they're going dormant. Again, they come back at some point, like uh, maybe seven days, ten days, whatever the time frame. Right. They scan again, and they go back dormant again. Okay. That's what actually this graph is representing with those uh, spikes you're seeing
1: Okay, so they're representing new scanners that have never hit those ports before, yeah, but yeah. see it now and they're just putting yeah, everything they
2: have. Yeah, if you see with the regular volume, these are the newer ones, right. obviously.
1: Yep, yep. yep. Very Okay. S-
2: uh, and the second one um, I want to talk about is 3389, which is a remote desktop protocol. Uh, even though it gained a few points in our uh, top rows, but if you look back, like a 365 days here, the activity volume is pretty much at the same levels. There's not just change actually, in fact. But still, it's it's came up on on our actually the top list. I want to show the graph. You know, there's not much activity going in other than. Uh, what we are typically seeing. It.
1: And these are just scans, right? These are not necessarily successful connections.
2: These are uh, probes, it could be, they could be successful right. also. These are probes, mm-hmm. they could be scanner. I mean, some scanning actor, they could be successful connections. But RDP, sometimes you need it. Right, yeah. I mean, it can be abused.
1: As we've seen. Yeah. As we've seen, Recently. if it's not
2: properly secure. Uh, I think he also talked about the least privilege. That's a perfect example in this case could I mean,
1: this have anything to do with the recent microsoft vulnerability they found in the remote um, desktop uh?
2: i mean uh, by looking at the uh, f- a few of the reports i haven't found anything okay. but uh, maybe if i dig a little bit further maybe we may find it but may not be may, not necessarily i don't think it's looking for something
1: okay
2: and this is the scanners as you said yeah we again 365 days Pretty um, flat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's, re- high, it's, it's high, but it's pretty steady, right? Um, yeah, sometime um, last,
2: last sometime. mid-year, there was a big spike. And from there, uh, they were kind of scaling down, and again, they're kind of increasing maybe, as you said. You see the increase whenever there might be some Microsoft patches are released. Okay, right. You, you right. might see a spike at that point. I mean, like a few days here and there, Yeah. you see a spike especially if they have something related to remote desktop protocol or something like that.
1: Right, there'll be some scanning attempts made, of yeah. course, yep. Yeah, yeah, interesting.
2: And this is geographical map of what, th- what kind of scan sources is seeing, how the distribution is. Uh, as you can see, uh, the darker the yellow, as you're moving from um, red to yellow basically, the more concentration it is. For example, uh, this is the heat map This is the lowest. As you go further to this color, I think you see more concentration of the Mm -hmm. scanners. Uh, I mean, uh, by looking at, uh, I think, uh, quickly we can say it's mostly concentrated in Asia-Pac region, most of the scanners, and also some in um, uh, North American region, especially in these areas, I think you have a couple scanners. It's possible uh, there might be regular internet scanners looking, always looking for, you know, some vulnerable Mm -hmm. devices. It could be possible on that one, too.
1: Right, okay. okay.
2: As you can see, there are not many, uh, about less than 2,000 scanners. So yeah. that's that's a small number.
1: Okay, is, that, is that about the average amount? Of and,
2: uh, not necessarily, that varies from port to port. Oh, okay. For example, if it's a heavy-use port, you may see like a thousands, maybe sometimes ten thousands. So, Makes sense. yeah, yeah for, I think uh, for RDP, I see it's a low number okay. based on uh, what I have seen in the past. Okay. But it doesn't mean uh, you can't argue you know, whether it's good or bad. Right, it could uh, be. You have y- to dig in further and see what's really happening.
1: Just high. as the quantity is not yeah. there doesn't mean the quality, so to speak, of the connection is there. Right, yeah. right. Nice. Okay.
2: Let's move on to uh, the third port 40. is a port EAD, which is HTTP. Uh, even though it came up, I mean, you, you obviously always accept uh, lots of traffic to HTTP, uh, any HTTP, port for that matter. Uh, but in this case, I think uh, it's pretty normal. I think we saw big spikes last year, like in the last two months ago. Okay. Uh, okay. If you look back since uh, late November, maybe start of November, I think uh, there's not much activity. But even they jumped up, as we can see, it's a business as usual, I think.
1: Okay. Business as usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But I also included this one uh, because with the story Modstick Botnet, uh, it can use 80 or 8080 TCP. I want to see if we, if we see anything uh, increased activity because of that one. But obviously there's nothing you can add.
1: Oh, okay, so it. nothing matched up from yeah. the release of that data yeah. comparing to the port activity, yeah. okay.
2: Okay. Then uh, next, we move on to most sources probing. Again, we are showing the top ten list here. Okay. Uh, Sources are here the scanners, right? Uh, Different from the probes. Uh, Here you can see again uh, the table follows the same format. Like you have uh, changed from the last week. What's the position this week? Again, I would like to point out to the two at with red marks yeah because 445 they're pretty much um, uh, standard and uh, there's no change actually that's what that uh, change uh, if you see that dash that's me basically they're maintaining no their their positions
1: yeah the two you've highlighted have a significant jump so i'm pretty curious yeah e- uh, yes
2: uh even 22 is there but i would like to talk about 8291 and 8728 eight. all right but one, one interesting thing is uh, 555 TCP at the 10th position, which is uh, Android debug port, oh, it, which okay. is typically used to be the top. I mean, it's always trending up. Uh, this week, it seems to be dropped, uh, you know, two positions. Interesting. Mm. Huh. Anyways, uh, moving on to the 8291 TCP, it's a microtech uh, uh-huh. used <laughs> for Winbox service. Yeah.
1: Well, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, it has uh, multiple vulnerabilities. Yeah. Uh, not one To basically there are also chain of commands, vulnerabilities you can use to get the on the MikroTik devices. So it's possible uh, that's Winbox is the most popular one. Yeah. Winbox is yeah. nothing but it's a tool uh, you use to administer the MikroTik device.
1: Remotely, right? Remotely. From the outside, right? Uh,
2: Remotely. I mean, typically it meant for uh, Windows-based systems. Right. But it can be run for, I think, uh, any Linux or Unix flavor uh, with wine or something like
1: that. Right. Okay. And a lot of that could be just from users setting up these micro tick boxes and never going into the settings and disabling remote access, right? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to the whole basic fundamentals of Mm -hmm. hardening, right? Yeah. And y- you can see there was
2: sustained scanning or probing happened uh, I think uh, late June until I think September. There's a sustained time as you can see the peaks.
1: Right, pretty steady. And, and
2: then peaks, it dropped uh, for a couple months again actually it kind of ramped up.
1: Maybe, maybe they pushed out a patch? Um, well, no, they didn't push actually, out a patch. Actually, uh, that's where I'm, I'm, yeah,
2: around that time they had a patch, they uh, kind of uh, slowed down. Again, there are a couple of exploits released. I, I think you know, one exploit after some time, another exploit. I think uh, around maybe December timeframe around that time, they had this um, chain OS router exploit. Basically, they have uh, three or four exploits which you can use to get the box, oh, MicroTik wow. boxes. So they're all happening. Okay, what, uh, what this port is registered for is a MicroTik API. And uh, API, as you know, for you know, accessing it, like. Right. How is that uh, useful? I think sometimes it's used to get the information about the device. In this case, MicroTix device or router. Okay. I maybe gather some information. With the right credentials, I think you could also administer the device. If you tie up this, I think this port and the other port, I showed just before eight to 8291, should be related. Yeah. So I thought, okay, let's see if there is any correlation between these two ports. Okay. And in the next graph, Perfect. if you put it, it actually <laughs> the perfectly. Wow, line up.
1: it lines up perfectly. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Okay. Uh,
2: I mean, I just want to bring bring those to the attention. You know, what we can see from the common in, backbone, and based on the graphs, we can uh, pretty much correlate with what's happening.
1: Would you think? Would you think this is a fair assessment? Like, if if so, we're figuring out that yeah, maybe they issued a patch, right? So if you users grabbed that patch, loaded the patch. So the scanning, the prob- you know, the scanning sources stop. And then maybe the spike is- I think, uh,
2: yeah, whenever there's a spike or uh, increase in volume or was the traffic, I think uh, there was, a, in this case, in micro tick devices cases, some sort of exploiter vulnerability has been found.
1: Yeah, you think maybe they, they kind of deconstructed the patch, saw what was patched, found their way um, around it, and then maybe... Yeah, but that's,
2: that's uh, sometimes it's possible sometimes. I mean, in the patches itself is uh, not sufficient. Yeah. Maybe it has itself something, you know, some...
1: Introduces maybe a new vulnerability. A new
2: vulnerability, uh, maybe it's not patched properly.
1: Yep, okay. They rushed it maybe, or yeah.
2: Uh, there could be innumerable ways. Yep, But okay. it's also possible to exploit, you know, if it's connected to the internet. We all know it just takes time to just... Yeah. And uh, let's see, I mean, again, I'm showing the geographical distribution of uh, the sources or scanners for this one. As you can see, it's heavily concentrated in um, Asia-Pac region. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I think it also agrees with the thing, I think microtik devices are most popular in that region. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- we also have some microtic devices in US also. But if you can see, I think uh, that agrees with uh, where they're, uh, most of the devices are.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Right.
2: And also, uh, the number of scanners in this case for both the, both the, um, both the ports, eight to, seven, 8 to 9, one or the other port, they pretty much lines up. We have ten, 10 or 20 sources here and there, but pretty much they kind of agree with each other. Amazing. So that means uh, same set of scanners is looking for both the ports. Um, that's
1: great analysis. Yeah. yeah that's.
2: I think, uh, yeah, that's all I have to show for this week.
1: Amazing. So, okay, great. So, we just need to uh, get the word out there that people have to patch their micro-tick routers because if they don't, no one's going to do it for them. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it goes uh, for any device. Any device, any right. Any device. Yeah. yeah, any
1: device that doesn't doesn't have push mm. enabled to get from the manufacturer to get these updates. Yeah. Right, which is... It's
2: a blank. Or you you have to substitute the blank with the device you want to patch it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When we put it in the um, in our graphical view, we can definitely see the coordinated act- actions happening at the same time on these both the votes.
0: The views expressed on ATT threat track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of ATT or any other person or entity.